Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Succession, Vanity Fair's podcast breaking down each and every episode of Succession Season 3. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Episode 6, What It Takes. Uh, I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Sonia Soraya. Uh, so before we get into that episode, um, we once again are going to turn to our mailbag, which is stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can email us theories, questions, corrections <laughs> which seems to be the the popular trend uh at the moment uh you can text us at, at subtext if you go to subtext.com slash still watching you can sign up for that um so yeah just a couple small emails here uh our, our, our listener named sam uh wrote to us and said that uh i work at a bookstore and i'm a budding russophile for these for these reasons i clocked the book josh aronson is reading and that's in episode four of which we only see the back cover right away it's the it's the uh it's a i'm I'm not going to try to pronounce these last names unfortunately it is a translation of crime and punishment <laughs> Ooh, fun yeah um and it's and then the, the the that translation which is pever volkonsky uh is widely regarded as the finest english translation out there according to sam um and then he also goes on to note this is in this is in line with the conversation josh starts about logan's guilt his daughter's name is also Kitty, a character in Anna Karenina. And all that talk of carts, very Russian, might as well have been slaves. Oh, so I like that. I like a literary uh, yeah. take on, yeah. on this show. And I'm, I'm sure there are lots of literary allusions embedded in there, um, being you know how, how sort of intellectual uh, Jesse Armstrong is. <laughs> um, so thank you for the catch, Sam. Um, I actually love 
I, I love n- learning about this Russian literature uh, nod because I feel like that is a, uh, a canon that is full of really big feelings, really big highs and lows, and often while grappling with like the nature of being human and the the nature of the world. Um, so that that fits perfectly with that episode. Yeah, and it makes sense that someone like Josh would be reading that. Maybe he genuinely is, uh, you know, intellectually curious, or maybe he's just kind of putting on poses, which, or, or both, perhaps, even. Uh, so the next email is from uh, a listener named Michael, who is also doing kind of a close read of the series. Um, and he says, I was re-watching some of season two earlier this week, and lo and behold, in episode seven, when Jerry is reporting to Roman about some of the things her oppo research turns up, in this, there is a throwaway line about a face tattoo, which Roman dismisses. Uh, apparently, it's about 22 minutes into uh, season two, episode seven. So, okay, there is precedent oh. for the face tattoo story. Oh, God, great catch. And again, also interesting, like Roman, like changing his tune on it, which has been he's a slippery fellow, as we see this week, too. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. Um, we can get into the, the the bulk of the conversation about the episode uh, now, I guess. Um, but I, I, Roman is an interesting figure here because I had kind of weirdly been developing some sympathy for him this season, and now a lot of it is gone. <laughs> it's just, it's just gone. It's out the window. Yeah, yeah. Let's okay. So let's talk about. It. So this, uh, what it takes. Um, the the bulk of this episode, um, is in in D.C. or I guess technically in Virginia. Um. Because Logan um, and uh, Connor, Roman, Shiv, uh, along with Hugo, they all go to uh, this big meeting of mega donors, conservative mega donors, and the uh, it's uh, as Tom calls it, it's a safe space where you don't have to pretend to like Hamilton. Um, we are all looking for those safe spaces. <laughs> no, I love Hamilton actually, but it's such a funny thing to sure, say. We all do. <laughs> Um, and it's a very creepy, it's just a very creepy setup. Um, I, I sort of, I sort of love this, uh, this look at, at, at don't, at like donor culture, you know, in politics. What it eventually boils down to, the whole episode ends up boiling down to Logan in his suite, like kind of late at night, um, letting these candidates kind of do their song and dance show for him. Um, the three main ones uh, in this episode are the current vice president, uh, Boyer, who's played by Reed Burney. Uh, he's a guy who keeps licking his lips. And once you notice it, you can't unsee it. And I really think this actor does a great job of, of subtly working in the lip licking in every every shot that you see him in. Um, and then uh, a, a guy from Florida named Soldado, played by Yule Vasquez, who is to my mind, an, an, a Rubio analog. So, it, you know, I think Boyer, you could say, is sort of a Pence analog. Uh, the Soldado's got, uh, he's, Cuban, he's a Cuban-American actor, Cuban-American per, uh, presidential candidate. So to me, that was Marco Rubio. Um, and then there's this wild card played by Justin Kirk um, named Jared Menken. Um, and he, to me, he was like a Josh Hawley or maybe even like a Madison Cawthorn. Maybe not as venal as Madison, Madison Cawthorn, but definitely like, this line of the GOP is the party of the working class. That's like his sort of nonsense take. And then also there's, you know, Connor, who I guess still wants to be president, maybe. Um, and so that's that's what the family is deciding. They're deciding who's going to be the next Republican nominee. Yeah, and I, I this is not CPAC. This is something a bit more off the books, right? Like more qu- quieter. It, it, there, there's a name like something about freedom, you know, but it but so it has a sort of, they're branding it to not sound as sinister as it actually is. 
um, <laughs> which is a a cabal meeting to decide who is at least going to be the candidate, but they assume president. Right. Um, and it creates this opportunity for Logan, who you know has it, uh, managed to get out of the shareholders thing intact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's somewhat neutralized Kendall, it seems. Um, and so as a little victory lap, he gets to sit in his hotel suite and have these um venal slicksters come and kiss his ring which he you know enjoys um it's interesting i i think that the vast uh the with um when it comes to soldado the rubio analog is interesting although m- maybe it's just in the kind of dimness of comparison to these other kind of crazy people uh but like he seems more reasonable which is why shiv has kind of gone in with him but yeah i mean as an imagining of what uh a sort of alternate non-trump universe which i think succession is existing in uh how that same kind of thing would burble up populism and hard right kind of masking itself as pragmatism or working class appeal or whatever um this is a chilling episode and and probably i think the most directly political i mean we spend an hour in politics for the most part in a way we haven't in the show's past yeah for sure um it it really and i i wondered i wondered if they were like eager to to try to like incorporate politics a little more into the show but um yeah, it's a uh, it's a very sleazy, creepy thing that happens. Um, and and you know, Logan being Logan, let's just start with him. Um, he's back to back to his great health. Um, uh, apparently great health, roaring health after after completely terrifying everyone in the last episode. And it's just so awful. It's so frustrating how much he's enjoying himself throughout this entire episode. Like, because he is. I mean, and this is this is where he is king. Like, he is. He is not only the head of like the biggest conservative network, but he's also a huge conservative donor. Everyone knows that they need ATN's approval in order to run. And this is exactly where he wants to be. He wants to be on top and having people fight in front of him. And he does it to his kids. And now he's doing it to these candidates, too. Um, there's this there's this thing partway through where he calls Boyer on the phone to come in, you know, basically calls him onto the carpet. And it's just like, now you have to listen to me talk, even though it's late at night. And asks him for a Coke on the way over, um, and then turns the ask into firing the attorney general, and then and then cancels out both of the asks. But the, all the manipulation has been done already at that point. Yeah, you know he um, the, the sort of playfulness of his uh, you know nasty little games is sort of immediately apparent when they're in the car on the way to this event. And, uh, you know, Shiv is asked to, to ride in the car with him and she's, you know, a little bit still licking her wounds from last week when he chastised her in front of everyone. And she says as much and he kind of smirks at her and goes, you know, it had been a long day and I was unwell, you know, as if mm-hmm. to say, like, you, you don't have a point on me. You don't have leverage on me. Like, I don't feel bad for you. Um, so he's back in in the captain's chair um playing bore on the floor again you know (laughs) and he is animated it would seem uh as we we learn on the the private jet flight um that he maybe is also back uh in action in the bedroom (laughs) (laughs) how fun for everyone yeah it's interesting you mentioned bore on the floor because this episode's directed by um the same director andrish parik parek i'm not i'm not gonna say that right i'm sorry in advance for the pronunciation um but that vibe is definitely there and then yes there's this creepy flirtation thing going on you know uh richard i'm so excited to tell you this i don't know if you know this already but um Kelly, the assistant, um, is played by Zoe Winters. Zoe Winters was very recently Teresa in Heroes of the Fourth Turning. 
um, which is a play that I, I didn't see it in real life. I, I saw the reading and I didn't even see her reading. I saw a different reading. But um, her character in that play is like a conservative operative, a conservative political operative. And in this episode, Kelly is um, sneaking out, out of kind of nowhere and freaking everyone out except Logan. She's starting to just contribute to meetings. Like she just like will come up with an, uh, an opinion or an idea or just an observation. And there's these awkward, terrible pauses afterwards because no one really knows. Is she just like this sort of mistress assistant? Is she like a real player? Um, and of course, Logan's enjoying that confusion as much as he seems to be enjoying everything else. Yeah. Uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, if people don't know that, is um, a really interesting, uh, dark play uh, by Will Arbery um, that was off-Broadway before the pandemic, um, maybe would transfer at some point, but um, about a bunch of people from a very conservative small college uh, reuniting to honor their sort of beloved professor, one of whom uh, it's their mom, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's incredibly, it, it walks very up close to, in fact, in, 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 inside of uh, a really kind of hardline conservative, religiously tinged thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the playwright is of that world, um, but I think is kind of rejecting it in this play. I had a lot of debate after I saw it with a friend about how celebratory the play is or how critical players of all this stuff Mm -hmm. but it does make a certain thematic sense that zoe winters should find herself in that project and now in in this particular episode where we see the inner sancta of um hardline conservative thought um, not developing but um being either rewarded or you know pushed away yeah and even the title is like from a steve bannon like manifesto which is like enough to be like okay (laughs) okay (laughs) theater calm down Um, if they'd only added an ever onto what it would be the theme song to degrassi whatever it takes so we were so close um no but uh yeah okay what i meant is that the heroes of the fourth turning is a reference to steve bannon um like a steve oh, bannon sorry. manifesto <laughs> no it's fine that's sort of funny too but um but yeah we got the chance to talk to zoe winters who plays logan's assistant carrie for this week still watching i'm alex schwartz i'm nomi fry i'm vincent cunningham and this is critics at large a new yorker podcast for the culturally curious Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
So, Zoe, thanks so much for coming to Still Watching, a Succession podcast. Um, you know, we've had we've had questions about the support staff on the show this season, and I, I think you've been on this on the show for the first two seasons as well. But Carrie's role is really amped up, you know, as up so far. Um, so this this will be for um, the sixth episode where you guys all go to the political conference. Um, so one of the things I just wanted to ask you about was, uh, first of all, we know that the Roy kids are speculating about your relationship with Logan. But then also we're seeing that Carrie really has some opinions about politics. So I was curious just a little bit about how those things emerged. Yes, this uh, episode six is a really uh, exciting episode for me because I do think that Carrie has political interests, which I think uh, get to be explored in this episode. And uh, for me, tracking Carrie's uh, character through this show, I mean, she came in at the end of season two and she joined at the height of this scandal in the in the cruise ship division of of Waystar and as they're heading into congressional hearings. And I was always fascinated by the fact that she would choose to join the company at that point right. and uh, why she would fasten herself to this dysfunctional media dynasty as they're facing uh, this investigation. So I-, I was really interested in her about that. And I uh, and so I started looking at like the Ann Coulter and Candace Owens and Tommy Larens, and I just started kind of being very... <laughs> Uh, very fascinated in their journeys and and the steps they took and how they landed where they landed. And so for me, heading into episode six, which is uh, so steeped in politics and so steeped in uh, the connection between uh, messaging and money and uh, and power and and her uh, her opinion on that and her point of view on that. And so I really was um, I really feel like. Carrie has some terrifying political <laughs> <laughs> political positions and uh and I think uh I think that there's some room in this episode where you where you glimpse that and I think uh I think uh yeah I'm 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 hoping that that all comes through because I think that there is an, an edge there that uh is scary <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So I um I brought this up with my co-host as well because I was I'm not always a theater person but I mm. knew Heroes of the Fourth Turning and right. I unfortunately did not see you in it but I saw a different reading of it but I knew your character Teresa is yes. another interestingly terrifying um person yes. <laughs> so I was curious uh, if those overlapped for you at all absolutely absolutely and I and I think that um uh, people yeah I, I I absolutely think that there's an overlap and I have brought up. Uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning a lot, which was written by Will Arbery and directed by Donya Tamar at Playwrights. And uh, it's about, you know, these these Catholic conservatives and uh, a a reunion where they're essentially uh, you're just steeped in their dialogue and their uh, terrifying speed of intellect and their conversations, which, uh, you know, oftentimes in in liberal uh, New York theater, we don't always uh, witness those conversations being held. And I do think that uh, the a word that came up a lot and 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 that Donya Tamor talked a lot about in that is this idea of something being undeniable. And I think that about I think about that so much in succession and uh, this idea of uh, 
whether you want to accept this or bear witness to these conversations, um, they are undeniable. And I think seeing the incredible writing that has been done over this entire series and, and in episode six around seeing the relationship between messaging and, and power and uh, election and, and how all these things are so politicized, it is really undeniable. And, uh, and so, yeah, I do have a history of working on controversial uh, <laughs> stories. Some, someone said to me, someone said to me, do you always play um, horrible people? And I was like, no. And then I was like, oh, God, oh, my God, I need to take. <laughs> um, but I do think that uh, I, I believe in sharing these stories because I think you're representing a people in a truth that are harrowing and uh, racist and classist and and I know that sometimes, you know, people don't want to believe this, uh, but uh, but we need to be witness to the fact that wealth and privilege and hate are connected and uh, have great power. And we need to uh, be aware of that so we can so we can try to fight it. But I I do think that this one word that continues in my mind through um Strangely, a lot of the plays, <laughs> and also um, Succession is this, uh, yeah, this idea of something being undeniable, and um, and yeah. So I, I thought a lot about. I, I do think going from Teresa into this um, series, even though they're very different, and I think of them as very different, and um, I'm interested in in them being different and having different shades and different spines, but I. I think uh, politically, there's some interesting crossover. Well, for sure, the characters and heroes of the fourth turning are very um, sincere, I think, in their beliefs. And I would say in succession, you don't always feel that kind of earnestness. Right. <laughs> there's a there's a it's a very cynical crowd. Um, and uh, to 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 go back to Carrie, I think um, some of the things that are like the most fascinating about her is that she's like really. Um, you know, she seems to really like Logan Cox. Um, I mean, sorry, Logan Cox. That's that's a mix up <laughs> of his name. She seems to really like Logan Roy, um, right. which I think is um, I, I, I get it because I think he is a charismatic figure. And I think that's something that's a little hard to untangle for all the people around him is how uh, he's both very frustrating, but also very magnetic. Um, and she seems to kind of get him and he seems to kind of allow her to be close to him mm -hmm. in a way that is sort of inscrutable to the rest of mm -hmm. us i think um and that uh that sort of interests me because i i guess you know a lot of people like logan roy are very powerful people who run our world and what is it like to be like a young sort of a you know not to be dismissive but she could be kind of a flunky you know in other people's like minds like sort of a you know just kind of a flack that's there to like assist but she has ideas and she's starting to bring them up and he's into it and nobody else is into it, but he's into it. Right. <laughs> and um, it, it really, it really makes me think a lot about who she is and what, mm -hmm. what about it about him is so interesting. I don't know if you and uh, if you and Brian talked about that or if you and the writers talked about that at all when you were preparing for the role. Yeah, I, we, I, we did have some conversations and uh I mean, also what's hugely helpful is I'm a huge fan of Brian Cox as both a person and, and an artist. And mm. so that, I mean, I always think that something that's really difficult to accomplish and what the actors on this show and the writers and 
directors have accomplished so beautifully is like a sense of of shared history. And there's just this intangible thing that you can witness as an audience feeling like two people um, know each other. And, and that has been accomplished so beautifully in this show. And, Mm. uh, and I do think from, you know, from reading about these like media mogul families, there does seem like there's, there's a certain sense of like fandom that people are fans of these, uh, of these, you know, whoever, whoever they're the CEOs or the, you know, they're really, they're really taken by them. And I think, I think that Carrie is a fan of his. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a big, I think that's a big, important entryway. Um, I think she's hugely ambitious. And I Mm -hmm. think that she has absolutely an agenda around what she wants from her life and how she's going to get it. And I also think she's a big fan. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right about the fan thing. I I hadn't put it in those terms, but I always notice it whenever you see like a tweet from Elon Musk or something and like all of the replies are like, Daddy Elon's taking us to Mars or whatever. Totally. And like when you see these, you know, sweeping decisions made and sometimes, you know, the people in these companies are not even, you don't even know, it's not necessarily a representation of like the training or the talent they have where they're able to recognize like, oh, uh, this person accomplished this because, you know, like there's a sense of like, there's like a clan and a fandom and mm-hmm. it's like this kind of hoorah uh aggressive um thrill around winning <laughs> winning and i think she is obsessed with winning mm. and i think so so many of these people are and uh and so i uh and so that's been a big entryway for me too is to think about um her being a fan mm. Mm. uh and and I do think that, you know, um, what's and all the speculation, I think that that stuff is so fun. And I think that uh, clearly I have an opinion on it, uh, which I won't reveal. But I <laughs> uh, but I uh, I think that that's what also makes, you know, the writers on Succession are so successful at not being expositional and not handholding their audience. Right. And and there's this constant thrum of mistrust and doubt and fear humming in these characters, hearts and minds. And and then I think by not over explaining to their audience, these writers and, and directors and, and Jesse create that same continuous cord of anxiety and doubt in their audiences, mm-hmm. which is excruciating, but also intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And so I think by everyone is so suspicious of everyone. I mean, I think that there's so much doubt and there's so much fear. And that is what is catapulting so many of these Im- impulses and decisions. And I think that they're able to also create that sense of anxiety in their audiences, which is. I'm I'm just yeah I'm so taken with with the creatives on this show because it's really they can generate this motor of um suspense that's so mm. and humor and and satire and and drama and it's just yeah it's it's it, it's intoxicating it's addictive oh for sure uh, well and uh, yeah especially because um we don't I think are very um our sensibilities are kind of offended by these characters often, you know, whether it's the language or the rank capitalism or whatever it is you want to, you want to point to, but I think they're also seductive. And honestly, I think Carrie's kind of an embodiment of the seduction. Like she's because she's sort of like dazzled to be there. 
And it's really thrilling, I think, to be in the room for, oh, for all yeah. of these things, like just incredible yeah. opportunities. And I'm sure, you know, I can't imagine, you know, what must be going through anyone's mind when they're in that room and they have a chance to say, oh, I don't know. Fuck that guy. I don't think right. we need that guy. But like right. she gets to do it for a second. She gets to be a little Logan Roy for a second. Oh, you know, completely. Thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, I love that about her and I'm uh I'm excited to see, you know, what happens with the rest of this season. Um, we're already out of time for oh. the podcast. I know it's we have so we have we just wanted to do a, a little snippet, but um, I guess I just want to. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. But we are a fan. We are a fan podcast. Um, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. What do you think uh, is the relationship between them more romantic than we can see right now between Logan and Carrie right now? Maybe there's going to be more to come in the season, and then you can't tell me, and that's fine. But it's almost interesting to think about what if it was purely just a mentor-mentee relationship and that's how people on the outside see it? Um, or what if there is like potentially an exploitative character to this relationship, as we've seen with the cruise ships and other things in this show? Um, it puts Carrie in a very interesting position. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. she's not she's not telling me anymore. <laughs> Thank you so thank you so much for taking the time. We're huge fans. Oh, we're Sonia, thank you seeing... so much for having me. No, of course. Have a good one, Zoe. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. That's uh that's kind of what's happening at the center of the episode. I kind of wanted to start talking with about Roman because um so Roman's very, very eager to be like the best boy in this episode, um, maybe fueled by the fact that we find out that his uh, his and Shiv and Kendall's mom um, is getting remarried um, and like didn't tell any of them. But Roman sort of seems interested in this and and make sure to call Kendall and tell him and tells their dad and stuff, too. The running joke for that entire plot line is that everyone thought she was going to marry this guy named Rory, but that turns out to not be the case. And I wonder if Rory was chosen by Kieran, because that's, of course, another Culkin brother. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, um, the, Roman's whole thing this episode is throwing his weight beside, behind the soft fascist Jared Menken, played by Justin Kirk. Yeah, um, the, the the mother thing is is interesting. Um, you know, that's Caroline Collingwood is the character's name. Um, we've seen her in a couple episodes, but she's mostly been a virtual character, just sort of mentioned here and there. Still seems to have some kind of emotional sway over Logan and certainly the children. Um, and then when when uh, Roman is looking online for photos of the guy she is going to marry, I think that was a recognizable actor, which gives me hope. Looking at the sort of structure of this show, mm -hmm. every episode is like an event. I'm hoping this wedding will be either next week or the week after, because I think that would be a fun setting. There was a wedding, what, in season one, right? Yes, um, Shiv, Shiv and Tom's yeah. wedding, yeah. Yes, and it, and it was hosted by her mom at her mom's right. estate. So yes, very deja vu. And yeah, I think so, just based on, um, so the title of episode eight is Chianti Shire, and we know that the wedding is in Tuscany. Um, so I do, I, do, I do anticipate some some fun drama in that direction. Um, oh, and in the meantime, um, we've got Roman making, um, a really very interesting deal. There's so many things that are very interesting about his conversation with Justin Kirk, um, in, in the hotel and how they sort of come to Logan with this idea of Logan putting his weight behind Mencken. Um, and I, I really want, I really want to talk about the scene where they're both in the bathroom in this like very like nice hotel bathroom, it has like a lot of reflective white tile. Everything's very tasteful. 
And they're both like mirroring each other in their clothes. They're both wearing sort of unbuttoned, very crisp white shirts and black pants. And everything about what they were doing, even though they these two men don't know each other, was intense, like very intimate to me. There was something like very heightened about this sudden um this sudden intimacy that they were into. And I definitely found myself wondering why there was so much energy there. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I thought they might kiss. <laughs> I was the whole time. I'm like, are yeah. they gonna kiss? I thought at least maybe Mencken would make an overture uh or something. I mean, because Roman sexuality has been so um deliberately, confusingly laid out on this show. Yeah. You know, like he's alluded heavily in past seasons to abuse and as a youth um at the hands of men. Um, I think there have been men. Oh, his like sexual performance issues have certainly been th- woven through. Yeah, he's got this weird thing with uh, Jerry. Um, uh, uh, you know, that's not to say that all of that adds up to him kissing a guy in a bathroom, but like <laughs> it certainly could. I mean, we don't know anything conclusive or whatever about about who Roman is uh, in in those kind of private moments. And so, yeah, I, I think that what was so sort of, if you want to go subtextual with that, beyond the, like the 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 physical sexual chemistry was that there is a certain dark allure that might be something like sexual pull to someone saying these, mm. or at least dancing around, these really dangerous but totalitarian ideas, you know? That there is a seductiveness to that mm-hmm. um, for some people. Not for me, not for <laughs> hopefully most people listening to this. I know, Sonia, you're a fascist. but Huge, um, Yeah. <laughs> But like you know what I mean, like that 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 there is. It felt like a physical version of the courtship that people online do on like Eight Chan or something like that. Like that 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 they kind of there is an intimacy in sharing a sort of dark secret or at least or a dark idea of how this country should be or how the world should be. And I think that Roman is not so susceptible as someone you know um, behind their computer monitor and somewhere. But like. But I think the show was maybe trying to manifest a little bit of Mencken and thus his real world analogs, like the sinister appeal that they have for some people. Well, yes. And, and you know, the idea of um, even people who maybe are not fascists, but are willing to get in bed with soft fascism for their own purposes. I think right. this, there's a way in which that like becomes very textual in this scene. Um, I... You know, for a lot of things in this episode, uh, I've gotten the impression that, you know, so we're this is episode six. Um, there are nine episodes in the season, not 10. Right. So we're we're looking we're very much back half of the season. We're looking towards the finale. And to me, I was like, this seems like a bomb that's going to go off later, maybe um, because I, I, I I don't know. I just found myself I found I find myself interested in like where Roman is in the family right now and wondering, like, what could happen over the next three episodes to change it. and. He's really he's th- he's really thrown his lot in with this guy and uh I if if there is some kind of other component to their relationship an attraction a romantic attraction a sexual attraction whatever uh I I feel like that could that could compromise him and I think that could be interesting um but at least for right now Roman ends, ends the episode on top uh ranking the uh, of the four Roy children he's ranked on the top because he uh makes this deal happen and and Logan's happy and tells him he's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that that the this season started and and Shiv was really out in the cold and then she kind of has worked her way back and then this was a pivot point for her. Um and Roman has been riding higher this whole season, but 
this is the critical point where he really made a choice. Yeah. And 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 chose a path, chose a candidate, chose a strategy, chose a, a sort of avenue of access to his father. Um and it worked for now, but I think you're right that like the consequences of this um well, I mean this guy could become president. It it, it <laughs> certainly hasn't could happen again. Um you know, and so maybe that would sort of be another victory for Roman, but I I I think that there is a question swirling in this episode about how far any of these kids actually want to go. How much is just like fast kind of profane talk to impress their father and how much do they actually want to see come to fruition? And I start to believe it with Roman and this guy, but maybe his, I don't know, maybe his motivations are, are more personal than political and that could blow up in his face because now with this photo taken, they're all associated with this guy. Yeah. This is now this is now their candidate, whether they publicly endorse him or not. Um, there is a, t- a tie now. A guy who refers to Hitler as H. Right. <laughs> his ho- his homie. OK. Um. So. Uh. OK. So let's talk about Connor now, because, you know, his his sort of he's got this really weird thing going on in this whole episode where he's kind of like sort of treated like a like a real candidate by like half of the people in the room um in in the big room i should say in the sort of like conference uh people keep sort of coming up to him and like introducing themselves um steven root is like the organizer of the conference and he's he's sort of like a little on the fence uh about connor and like what connor can do and then when you get into the small room into like logan suite you can't get anyone to say anything nice about Connor. <laughs> um, and I think it just sort of seems clear to everyone he's kind of an empty suit. Um, but he he just goes through a lot of humiliations, just like trying to advance himself as a real candidate and then just getting, I don't know, ignored mostly. Yeah, I kind of wondered if the joke of this episode was like, he's going to get it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, like laugh him off as a fool. And then but the problem is, the idea has now been considered in the realm of the credible by mm-hmm. at least Logan and his contingent, you know, because Connor got himself in the room. He got himself on this bizarre short list of people and and then thus demanded a sort of moment of consideration, which is sometimes all it takes. You know, um, the possibility is enough for people to seize on. Um, and so I don't I don't I don't think that Connor is out just because they've gone with Benkin. I think I think there is still something brewing with that. Um, and you know, you're obviously seeing how low he's willing to go to get that in terms of like vaguely pimping Willa out, uh, (laughs) and at least she speaks up for herself, but you know, um, she's also sort of invested in the Connor relationship. So I, she's in a very bad spot. Uh, Yeah. Willa's, uh, Willa's got a very interesting, I mean, she's writing a play on her phone, um, for, for the beginning of me, which is, I mean. (laughs) I can relate so much to having to write something on my phone, but she yes. must be in her own special circle of hell trying to do like dramatic formatting or any kind of uh, real critical thinking. Well, the formatting was exactly what I thought, because like, I can write a review on my phone in line for a movie at a mo- film festival, but like right. having an indent and all that shit, like, no, thank you. It's it's not easy. I mean, right. It's it's like it's very hard to use that keyboard. Um, So she's doing that and then also kind of talking to Stephen Root about not wanting to be a commercial playwright. Um, you know, it's interesting. Something that she and Connor have in common is that mostly people talk about how good they look. Um, I mean, you know, she's as as the sort of like female hanger onto him. She's put in a, in a vulnerable situation by Connor when 
Stephen Root sort of like uh, keeps like making comments and then going like, oh, that'll get me canceled. So like refers to her as beauty and brains and is like, ha ha, shouldn't say that. And then just like uses an excuse to say something more. Right. But then even um, even earlier when like they're looking at down at the crowd when the when Shiv first comes in and she's like, is it just me or in a room full of Timothy McVeigh's? Does Connor look like a Roosevelt? Um, and even Logan is like, oh, he's a handsome fellow. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's sort of has supposed to have this kind of, you know, basic on on a on in, inoffensive appeal, I suppose. Um, he's a, at he's least a, in like. To me, he's like a patrician. He's got he's got right. the sort of yeah, yeah. La- landed gentry look to him, and that makes him a candidate. Right, right. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. Shiv also say something about someone blowing her archery instructor? <laughs> no, I missed this. Can you please elaborate? I, I, but I, and I thought she was talking about Stephen Root's character, so I was kind of confused about him hitting on Willa. Uh, again, sexuality's fluid, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. I think that's who she was referencing. Um, I watched. I did go back and watch it like three times, but the audio on our screeners is not perfect, so yeah. I couldn't quite um, make for sure that that's who she was talking about. But anyway... Um, they know who a lot of these people in the room are. They don't like most of them. Um, Connor maybe could be just like the known evil and thus the lesser of them. Um, so maybe that's why they'll eventually throw common cause behind him. I think they're going to. I mm-hmm. I think that this Mencken thing is going to be a dark distraction. I mean, um, and that Connor will somehow in Jesse Armstrong's satirical, but not that satirical worldview, will bungle into at least a candidacy. I mean, or maybe a vice president, you know, there's like the vice sure, president slot yeah. open. I can see Secretary him. Secretary of State, Connor yeah. Roy, you know. Yeah, I can see him falling falling backwards into that. Yeah. Well, as you know, this season, we've already caught up on Alan Ruck, our favorite presidential candidate in the show. But we haven't yet caught up with his prospective first lady, Willa. So coming up, a conversation with Justine Loop. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Okay, Justine, welcome to Still Watching. Um, we, I wanted to talk to you this week about um, the episode. So the episode for that we're, we wanted to talk to you about is the political convention that you intend with Connor. Um, there are a lot of funny moments with you in it, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to check up with, how is Willa this season? <laughs> What's going on with her? Um so, you know, one of the things that really made me laugh is that yeah, you're writing a play on your phone. Um, because I am. Because yeah. that's, that's a super comfortable and easy thing to do. Um, and you're uh, kind of fielding a weird, weird lecherous Stephen Root throughout this, uh, this uh, episode. Tell me a little bit about the political convention. Yeah, no, I thought it was really funny, too. I mean, I think Willa's been 
I think Will is going through some, like an identity crisis kind of, you know, she had this like thing that she unabashedly was working on through all of last season. And then you see it just like fall apart. And the the level of denial that she has is kind of like, is, is, is so well matched to Connor's <laughs> denial because she just gets right back on the horse. And I was like, so pleasantly surprised to see that she's still just like typing away at like, like, okay, I have to be here, but I'm going to be like working on my thing again. Like it just, she's right back in, in the same spot that we saw her in before, you know? What what has interested me is that she's remained committed to Connor. Like this relationship is still working, which I think we don't always get full insight on it, but like I'm happy for them. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. <laughs> there's still something holding them together for sure. I think that there's, you know, it's funny because in in this in this um, episode you see they're still together and you feel this like connection, but you also see him like solicit her in this way that you're like, oh my god. Like you guys are clinging on in spite of even like this first moment that we've seen her this season really like with him, like, is this kind of like crazy situation, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was curious about that because, you know, something I noticed in this episode is that, um, it's Connor too has talked about his appearance a lot. People are like, Oh, he's the, he's the Roosevelt of the, uh, of the Timothy McVeigh convention or whatever it is. Um, which is such a funny line. Um, I think, you know, I, I thought for a long time that their relationship was kind of like a maybe just more convenient for Willa, but I've sort of come to think that she has real affection for him. She's like very protective of him sometimes. Um, and I uh, I guess it's interesting because he doesn't always seem that open to Willa's like artistic achievements and stuff, but maybe he's he's still helping her. Maybe there's just still something there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I I definitely think that there is a mutual affection that's grown, which is, and 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 it's funny that you pick up on the protectiveness thing, because I mean, you see it in that second or the first episode with Logan, where she kind of like calls him out and it's like, uh, what about Connor? And, um, and it's a really interesting thing that like evolves the season is just that, that, yeah, you see that there, that, that Willa, you know, in the past, Willa has been, you know, I, as much as Connor might not be the most <laughs> enthusiastic about her artistic pursuits, he is pouring a lot of money into like enabling them. And, and she is in the past kind of, he's been like the sugar daddy support system, but you're kind of finding, you're coming to find how Willa has her own way of supporting him. Like that she actually can like step in and she provides something for him that he can't necessarily provide for himself in moments, you know? Absolutely. I mean, and I think um, when he's in the political sphere, you know, being the sort of power wife or the political partner is such a, it's such a like highly uh, charged role to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't imagine that Willis, thinking to herself like about her fantasies about being the first lady but she's still uh she's still committed to his his political ambitions i think yeah i I wasn't convinced at the beginning of you know of this whole thing starting and now i'm like oh yeah like i think she's okay with him like i this i don't want to to talk too much about the next episode for our viewers but since recording i've had a chance to see it and um (laughs) there's just a bit with the polling numbers coming out and will is like really proud of connor's polling numbers um and (laughs) and, like defends it to people and i just thought that was so interesting like 
Do you think she's thought about this as like a future for her too? Like she's very committed to her theater, but like, I guess if he really won something, she'd be a a first lady. Yeah. You know, I think Willa, I think it has less to do with any kind of like ambitions necessarily. Maybe there are some ambitions that I'm not, but I'm more, I'm more just attuned to like her personality, like who this woman is. And I feel like there is like a side of her that's just like, is, is, um, she's she's headstrong and she's like and she is protective of herself and she's and consequently because she's tied to connor there is like a protectiveness of of their thing together so i i imagine that she doesn't think like oh connor is going to be like wildly successful in this endeavor but there is this kind of like we are a unit and I will step in when I need to, I'll protect my, you know, you see it with the, the Stephen Root moment where she's standing up for herself within this like dynamic with Connor. But you also see when, when they're in a wider scope that she's like, okay, I'm going to step in with these other people. So I, I, I really do think that she's a proud person and mm-hmm. that she went through a moment of vulnerability, like extreme vulnerability in the, in the past season and, and kind of heartbreak. And, and I almost think that there's like a Phoenix type of quality where she's like rising from the fire a little bit and is even a little bit more fiery than she was before, where she's like, I, you know, it like takes on a new level of, I don't know. I almost see her as like a lioness, like a mama bear kind of thing going on, you know? Very very fierce. No, no, I hear you. Yeah, there's a level of fierceness. You know, in the um one of the previous episodes, uh Shiv says about the family like we don't get embarrassed. Um and whether or not like that's actually true, I sort of feel like Willa fits into that. Like she's not actually feeling um she's not a, like I think there are things about Connor's presidential run that other people are mocking. But she doesn't seem to be there about it. She's kind of like, she's more proud than embarrassed to go back yeah. to her point. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I don't think she really gives, it's funny because I think artistically she's like really tapped into like what people think. But in terms of this Roy family dynamic and like, and even, and even Connor, Connor's kind of stakes in this presidency, I don't feel her having any kind of shame or like even too much attachment to what other people think of her, you know, mm-hmm. even the fact that she survived as the black sheep of this family for the last two seasons, you know, she, she kind of was impenetrable in, in terms of, I mean, she went through a lot of shit in terms of this family, like not accepting her. And she yeah. kind of just stuck it out and was like, well, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and and it's and it's worked it's worked she's she's in her circle in as much as connor is she is too um what do you what do you make of i mean i don't know i'm not sure if will is a political person but i imagine that it must not be it's it's hard to play a role where you're in this episode you're in the midst of this big donor convention and there's this very kind of slimy and insidery, like we're going to crown the next president thing going on. Um, what did what did that what did that feel like to you? How did it feel being in that moment? And uh, I don't know if you think that Willa has like political thoughts herself, but I'd be curious, you know, how you thought about that with regards to the character, too. You know, I think because they wrote her as I I imagined Willa in this situation in a little bit of a bubble of her own uh, self-involvement she'll step out of it to help Connor in moments. But I imagine that there's not much 
like looking outside of herself. I mean, even as they're speaking, she's sitting there writing her play. <laughs> right. She's not even bothering to like look up and give like and like even a hint of like I'm with you. I'm here for it. Like she, I just imagine that she's just like, you know what? This is all bullshit. I I, I do think that Will is a bit savvy, and I, I I imagine that she's like this whole thing is all like you. Can, she can feel the schmarm. Can, she can kind of feel like the the like you know, phoniness of the, the political scape. And it's like, you know, I'm, it is, I'm, I'm focusing on me and my thing right now. Like she right. just doesn't, she doesn't, I imagine she's one of those people who, you know, I have friends even in this political climate who are just like all these political people, every single one of them are corrupt. And I imagine Will is kind of on that landscape, you know, right. I don't know. Right. Which no, is that- part of why she's like, yeah, my my partner is just as good as anyone. Mm-hmm. He, he could be president. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, for sure. And I think like to go back to this moment where she's being hit on by this smarmy guy, um, I think she can sort of see maybe through it too a little bit. At the end of the day, these are these are guys that will hit on her inappropriately, and maybe she's sort of. Um, distilling the essence of of this group of people down to yeah. the parts that fully affect her yeah yeah and in that moment in particular I'm like it's really is you see that Willie used to be someone I mean that's how she got into this world she is she was an escort she went out with these guys she knows how to be like the easygoing sure anything will roll off my back the best date ever kind of girl and you kind of see her play the like dichotomy of it where it's like yeah but I'm with you now I'm not I'm not an escort anymore but she also kind of tolerates Stephen Root in this way that's like sneakily calling him out and yet at the same time you know like get off (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. get off but also it's okay you know it's a really interesting moment because you see a little bit of a flash of who she who she used to be and who she had to deal with, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in context of um, this season, having this focus of the cruise ship scandal, um, you know, something that we have talked about on the podcast is that we haven't actually seen the women who were victimized allegedly or otherwise by this cruise mm-hmm. ship operation. But then in moments with like the women characters we do know who are put in these situations, you can kind of begin to glimpse the whole structure, you know, and you're like, oh, maybe we are all capable of these things. And I think it was like a very it was a really clever distillation of all of those things into into this moment with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, but, I've found that whole thing and um, the, you know, the little the presence of the women that have gone through this whole company's, you know, the way that they, they operate. It's really interesting because it's always there, but it's not like heavy handedly there. It's like a a presence, but it's not like on the nose. So you feel it all the time in these little tiny moments, you know, with Jay, with Shiv, you feel it. Um, and then, and, and then in this moment with Willa, uh, but I like the way that it's kind of like subtly like flows through the, the, the landscape without really like calling too much attention to it. It's like a weird right. ghost or something, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. Um, and like, realistically speaking, what could Willa even do in that moment? Like it, it's just a reality of her life. Yeah. I know. Isn't that, that's the thing that's like, but that's, yeah. And that's what yeah. we all run up against sometimes is like, how do I float through this moment being 
you know, like not allowing it to get too far and yet like making the other person feel comp like playing along. It's all, yeah, it's all there. Yeah. And it's kind of representative of what we as women have to deal with sometimes, you know? Oh, oh for sure. For sure. Um, so we're already out of time for the podcast, but I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, uh, I'm sure, you know, you and Alan are working together all the time. I would love, I mean, I, we would all love any insight into like how you guys prep for your scenes, like what you guys talk about, about your two characters. You know, we always kind of, tr- we try and touch base about what actually is going on with these two characters, because yeah. I think that it's, it, it is something that we kind of have to understand because it's not necessarily the most overtly explained right. element, you know, of the show. You know, there's a lot of mystery to what is this dynamic? What's happening with them? Where have they, what kind of conversations have they been been having and what was the last conversation they had in regards to, because you, you know, it's five years we've been shooting, but it's the timeline in terms of like what this, where this family has been, it's actually quite short. So all the conversations from even season one are fairly recent between Connor and Willa, you know, so trying to map out where are we, what's going on in our relationship prior to this scene. And I think that's the most important thing because really most of the material that we have is, is kind of about like what navigating this relationship and what is it. Um, So touching base with that is, is the way that we prepare mostly for the scenes. Um, And then just, you know, running it together and um, playing around with like, there's a lot of subtlety in the way that these writers write their dynamics. So it's like also just talking through, well, what does she actually mean when she says this? And what does he actually mean? You know? Um, But yeah, Alan's, Alan's the best. And it's been a real like ride um, with him. And I'm so glad that the relationship between these two characters is, is kind of blooming into this weird, (laughs) (laughs) your dynamic that i find like delightful and i'm excited for people to see the rest of the season yeah we're excited too yeah it's it's funny how like of all the couples on the show i started being like connor and willa have like no future and now i'm like are they the most stable relationship (laughs) i know know. isn't that that the sad the the bar is set so low Especially watching this episode, oh my god, I was just like gutted with the Tom and Shiv stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. watching him, it's just—it's like I think this one is the most painful because we're following him, and I'm just—he's like, it's just oh. or it's torture watching him, you know, and watching their dynamic and watching just even that that last moment where he walks in and the look she gives him—it's just oh. <sighs> Oh, it's so much. And then like the music is like swelling in the background know, and you feel and I, everything. <laughs> oh my God. And the whole, yeah, I'm, I'm, I loved this episode so much. And I, I think Matt McFadden is kind of like a force of nature. Like just, he's just so wildly talented. So watching this kind of Tom centric Shiv and Tom centric kind of episode within this like broader plot, I, I was like, rocked by it so yeah you walk out being like well connor and will are kind of like a heartwarming (laughs) (laughs) comparison yeah we're you know uh we're all rooting for you guys (laughs) yeah Yeah. well excited i'm excited for you guys to see the rest of the season i'm excited to watch the rest of the season so yeah we're really excited too they sent us up to seven so we have eight and nine left so we're looking forward thank you so much for taking the time justine i really appreciate it um having me 
Um, all right, let's talk about Shiv. Poor Shiv. This is a bad episode for her. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think, you know, we come, we come off of her with the last week of like trying to do this thing, accomplishing a lot, then getting shouted at. Um, <laughs> when, when she brings that up, which I, I actually thought was like very mature of her, um, and kind of brave to bring it up with Logan and to be like, why did you do that to me? Um, and he frames it as her being a sourpuss, um, like her, like her bringing up like a legitimate concern about how he behaved. Um, and she's like, are you, he's like, are you going to be a sourpuss? I am not familiar with like how puss or sourpuss is used in like wherever Logan is from, the United Kingdom, Scotland. But even like the fact that he uses this term that's so close to pussy really like to me kind of like rung another bell. And I, I don't think these are things that are going over Shiv's head. She is aware of how gender is working in her case. But anyway, that was just something that was on my mind going into this episode, because literally the whole time she's in the suite trying to make her case for, you know, whether it's a case for Soldado, who's kind of like the most moderate conservative or at least has like, you know, because he is um, he's a person of color. So he has this like this other quality to him that is like different from what's happening in this room. Um, There is no interest in her earnestness. There's no interest in her concern. Um, they don't even really talk about policy. You know, she no, they don't give a shit about what she has to say about politics. No, I mean, like they talk in broad strokes about, well, this person stands for X and this person doesn't or whatever. But yeah, it's nothing really specific beyond these. They're basically trying to figure out how the candidate will be messaged, not who they are exactly. Um, and, you know, here is an opportunity for Shiv, who has uneasily entered into the company in an official role for the first time and has been sort of sidelined or undermined in that experience thus far. And and maybe some of her thinking, look, she was going to go to this hideous weekend thing anyway, because that's where her dad is going to be. Yeah. And she, she didn't want to not be in the, those rooms. But she clearly, to some extent, finds the whole thing kind of gross. Um, and yet she's also there because I think that maybe, in, in, you know, if I can infer some of her psychology... That like she was like, okay, well, but I do have this political experience. So maybe here's where I shine. Here's where I become the clearest asset to dad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and no, no, no. Like <laughs> she gets dismissed by Roman immediately because how many campaigns did you win? Four, three, two, one, you know. <laughs> um, and and clearly, you know, her political career was uh, she was well connected, but it wasn't maybe that successful or remarkable. Um, and and thus her kind of one thing that she ultimately she strips all the sort of savvy away and it's just like by the end of this discussion is like he's dangerous and she's yelling about it you know Mm -hmm. and that felt maybe the show being a little bit like on the nose or sort of speaking for the audience through shiv um than i would than the show normally does but um it was interesting to watch her sort of lose her cool and maybe betray some of her actual political ideas or feelings um if she still has any left um (laughs) in a way that wasn't trying to appease dad or his conservative you know uh, acolytes and and cronies but actually saying like well this actually is concerning maybe for bigger reasons um so i appreciated that i guess no yeah i appreciated it too and and i i wonder if it is the you know the show using her as a mouthpiece or or maybe something a little bit more depressing for from my perspective, which is that I think I, I really sympathize with her kind of losing her her words in the face of this guy because she's like, wait a minute, who are we? What are we doing here? Like, how could this be a real person? And and she tries to make a case about like American democracy and stuff, but eventually what she gets to is something very emotional, which is just like, he scares me. I'm scared. 
And I think in the face of that, the fact that her like close family and associates are just completely unmoved is, I think, what is so striking. I, You know, I think a lot of people throughout the Trump era and then now with like sort of politicians who are near him politically are like have these very emotional responses of like, well, he freaks me out. He stands for these stuff. I don't believe him. And like these are not really arguments that work like they're not arguments that move that that move the most powerful people that are supporting these candidates um no and 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 roman says to her you have a fur coat and what a trophy husband like you'll be mm -hmm, fine mm -hmm, kind of thing and i think mm -hmm. that's the thinking of these oligarchic people it's like well none of this policy is going to affect well i mean it can only affect us positively Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. the negative stuff like out of sight out of mind right you know, I um now every time every time I talk about Shiv's wardrobe, I keep apologizing for it. I'm not apologizing it for it anymore because I do think it's really interesting in this episode. Um, she starts off with this like three piece suit. There's like a vest, and it's almost like armor. Like she's like go it. She's like I'm not really here to be here. I'm like the corporate. I'm like a corporate observer. And then when she's in the suite, the dress that she's wearing is this like wool cocoon. It's this like super um. Like, it's, like, sort of slinky, but it's also kind of like a blanket. Like, she's just sort of, like, in a tube. Um, she's swaddled. Yeah, kind of, right? There's, like, these extremes of, like, restriction and, and like, restrictive clothing versus non-restrictive clothing. But to me, it felt like she's vulnerable in this moment. She's not she's not layering herself with the sort of self-interest of um of of the corporate world um and i and the reason I, I i call attention to that dress once more is you know moving on to talking about tom there's this big moment where tom ent- re-enters the suite after this very momentous meeting and he looks across at shiv in this in this outfit looking sort of like like she's in a resting position but not super comfortable too and you know Tom's whole uh, Tom's whole life right now is really all about like his investment in Shiv, his investment in their marriage and in her role in this family. And like if her if her star is ascendant, then his star is ascendant. And I feel like he comes in and he's like, I don't know. I don't know where my wife stands in this company, which I think is significant. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there is a temptation with like where Shiv, Shiv ends in this episode and sort of how she functions in it that dimly does bring to mind questions of where Ivanka Trump was during mm. her father's ascendancy to political office. And then during that time, um, obviously the relationships are so- several removed. I mean, we're not talking about Shiv's dad becoming president, but the thing about like, I'm just here as a corporate observer. I'm not, I'm neutral sort of, you know, she's obviously not actually neutral, but mm. um, is, is kind of pathetic and sort of sad where it's like, no, 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 the minute you, it's not even the minute you stepped into this hotel. It's the minute you stepped into this life, however many days, years, whatever ago, like there is no such thing as neutrality for you anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think she still kind of thinks that she is above it. And what you see, I think, in Tom kind of observing her throughout this episode uh, is that his lodestar is sort of sinking a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. and and thus the panic sets in, and um, yeah, I don't know. There, like, I, I think it's interesting that there's uh, this kind of weird courtship between Roman and Jared, and this talk about Caroline Collingwood getting married again. Like, like in in the dynastic days of old, so, you know, same same as now. Like, like marriages have some convenience to them. And Tom mm-hmm. even says, like, no, the thing I did was I married, I fell in love with Shiv. 
you know. Yeah. And now that that huge bargaining chip or that chip seems to be diminishing in worth, uh, he's a little bit more at sea as is Shiv, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, the uh, the sort of Tom narrative of him having this this complete spiral because of impending prison, um, you know, sort of continuing apace. Um, In this episode, he and Greg, who is now also worried he's going to prison, um, go to a diner to prepare themselves for what prison food is going to be like, which is I think they're going to be sadly disappointed by how they are not going to be prepared by for prison food. But um, I, I think it. All of this, like the the then there's the vi- the his vineyard, their vineyard, and but the wine was all really terrible. But we know how much he cares about wine because we heard him talk about the toilet wine from prison. Um, Tom's love. Tom really likes nice things. He likes nice food. He's he's really he's really attached to the finer things in life, and that's probably got how he got into this mess with all of these billionaires in the first place, because being with Shiv gave him this intense opportunity to eat, you know, the gilded bird with its bones all still inside it, which is something he did early in the season. I mean, early in the show. But now it just seems like it's haunting him, like being having to lose all of these things. Um, and I think, uh, I think when when Kendall comes to him, so Kendall's doing his own complete nonsense this this uh, this episode because he fires his lawyer. And when Kendall comes to him and is like, "Let's see if we can get Tom to flip," I think um, I think Tom, the only person who could get Tom to flip, is Shiv. I think that was like I came away from this episode being like, he would do it for her. He's not going to do it for Kendall. But if Shiv's star is going down at the company, maybe she would be open to that. Um, and that seems kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of do feel for Tom's panic. You know, th- there's that other great scene with him and Greg where one of the attendants at the conference is like talking about the value of the toilet in prison, <laughs> mm-hmm. how it's your, you know, your your gym equipment, your lover, this, that, whatever. And also, most importantly, your toilet. <laughs> and um, And, you know, I think that Tom's kind of, fixation on these aesthetic things um will the there won't be wine except for toilet wine there the food will be terrible greg is obviously concerned with certain pranks or worse you know violence what that what not but tom is sort of more focused on like i won't be living in this in the lap of luxury anymore and i think that what he's kind of realizing is that that lap of luxury had kind of made him complacent you know Mm -hmm. and he just got addicted to the finer things and and while being sort of pushed around because they were keeping him fat and happy and sedated basically. Um, And now when he's realizing that like the only kind of good things he has in his life, he's willingly giving up by offering his neck to Logan. uh, He's like, wait, what is this deal I've made? You know? Um, And which is makes him ripe for the picking um, from Kendall for, for Kendall, but which, you know, also there's the scene where, where Shiv kind of tries to seduce him and he's like, what's the point, you know, about not having a baby and, 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 you know, I, I think Tom, you know, we had been talking about this for a couple episodes now where it seems like Tom is increasingly the most likely person to, in the happiest of scenarios, escape, mm-hmm. uh, but in the more realistic ones, like at least flip and uh, try to, you know, sabotage people and probably in the process get destroyed. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, he's he's just so vulnerable right now. He's just like his his mental his mental state, his emotional state. He is he's really open. He's really open to a, a, anything. Um, it it feels like he's increasingly kind of volatile. Um, I really loved loved slash hated the phrasing of um. Uh, of him saying it's not worth having sex with Shiv because there's no possibility of a baby. And he describes it as throwing cake batter at a brick wall. Um, and I I thought that the the softness of the cake batter and the the imperviousness of the brick wall was like an interesting, it's sort of like a an, an inversion of what you might expect from like the gendered uh the gendered quality of that. And then also I think really spoke to his own <laughs> sense of feeling very, very fragile, very like just really like he like throwing himself at the brick wall and there's no- nothing receiving him. Yeah. He's just this kind of delicate, decadent substance, you know, <laughs> he's not actually <laughs> uh, any sort of uh, firm structure, you know, uh, unlike his wife. And, um, but you know, again, that structure is crumbling as well. Um, and I, I, I think that this season, which began, you know, in Medias Race, in this, this, this post-Kendall, you know, apostasy scramble, um, everyone trying to find their own, you know, what's best for me? How can I play this? Whatever. And and people pull ahead and fall behind. And now I think Shiv and Tom have really fallen behind, par- I mean, very much by their own doing in some senses, you know. Mm-hmm. I think in retrospect, Shiv's play was to distance herself completely from all of this, you know. Mm-hmm. And instead, she she chose party loyalty uh, over all else, family loyalty over all else. And um, it's having collateral damage in the form of Tom, which was probably always inevitable. Um, and I think that's interestingly reflected in Greg, who has been playing his own little weaselly game. But as um, I, uh, someone says in this episode, is Greg necessary? <laughs> <laughs> Greg Greg providing his sort of like not so subtle commentary on democracy in Logan's suite was like really funny too. Yeah, when um, Greg did speak up for his, you know, he was like, <laughs> "I can't as an as an American or something like you know, it would be unpatriotic to to make him president." Um, you know, and there's also all this talk about like what's happening with Kendall's, te- you know, uh, not testimony, but like the evidence he's providing. And it's not really panning out. And Lisa is like, "This, there's not much of a thing here. You're being imperious. You're being, you know, you're not likable, whatever." And he fires her because of that. Like, and 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 Logan is getting word that that the uh, the opposition's case is crumbling. And so it's like, well, maybe no one's going to go to jail. Well, I mean, Tom, you will, but <laughs> but no one else. <laughs> and so maybe Greg has a little opportunity, a little wiggle room there, and in fact tries to ask Tom to basically hang another ornament on the Tom tree. Oh yes, right. Another ornament on the Tom tree. Yeah, Tom, Tom's really acquired a lot of of terrible nicknames uh, this uh, this season. Um, and Tom's willingness to take on Greg's Greg's thing was like so sweet and so sad too. Um, I rushed through Kendall a little bit, but I think that um, when so Tom and Kendall um, have this moment right after Kendall comes to DC and and brings Tom to this diner and. Um, you know, we 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 the we the viewer, we Kendall's Kendall's in his red flag zone again because he everything that he does with his testimony in this episode, and you know it's kind of a minor plot, but he 
kind of is trying to bluster and bully the Department of Justice, right? In the like in the same way that he's sort of seen his dad make it through meetings with this with this uh with these tactics. Um but it doesn't work. Maybe he's not as good as at it or maybe you just can't do that uh to the Department of Justice. Um but regardless, uh Lisa Joyce sort of tries to like tell him like this isn't she tries to give him the real talk. I, and I I thought she did such she put so much effort into doing it in like a thoughtful and considerate way. And then the next scene, he just is telling his team, which includes um, which includes Dasha, that he's fired her for being toxic. Because <laughs> yeah, he's just using taking that word from yeah. social right. justice, of course, and totally misapplying it and absolutely being ridiculous. So when he comes to Tom with this whole thing and he says, he's like, oh, I've got new lawyers and stuff now. Tom's like, you're going to fuck this up. Like, I have no c- confidence in you. And 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 he says, like, he's like, you're what you're what you're suggesting is nice. But I have seen you fuck up everything. And I have well, never seen the, oh, the old man fuck it up there, there. No, the interesting thing is he says, you're going to get fucked. Okay. You know, and I've right. seen you get fucked in the past. I've never seen it happen. So, so there's this passive quality to it as if Ken, as if Tom and some of his affection for Kendall can't just say, you're the one who actively fucks up. You know what mm, I mean? Mm. Like, it's just like the, the, the cosmic, you know, forces and fates are sort of conspiring. You know, it's that very persecutor, like the, the, the persecution complex that all of these people have from time to time. Mm. You know, and I, I think back to like, and you know, I think you're totally right that Kendall is trying to tough talk the DOJ. Um, trying to emulate his father's style, but Kendall does not have the connections that his father has, a and doesn't really quite have the. Kendall cares too much about mm-hmm. what people think, uh, and I think back to like um the was it last week with the rabbit, the mm-hmm. kind of bookending thing where he's like, oh yeah, all that bluster, feed the rabbit a little bagel, it'll be fine, and in the end, <laughs> the, the rabbit is like not doing, like should not have eaten that bagel, and so Kendall just keeps trying to be like. No, no, like I'm, I'm like master chaos, like do whatever, and he just cannot handle that kind of uh thing. He's not, he's not good at it. He's not predictive enough. He doesn't, he doesn't think, you know, uh, far enough out. And um, and yeah, it's really catching up to him. And I, I don't know. I still think that Tom is probably, I don't know where Tom is better off on which side. What do you think? Who should he go with? Well, I. I'm 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 going I'm going to go back to the the point I was sort of making before which is that I think I think Tom is safest with Shiv um even though even though both he and Kendall seem to have doubts about whether or not Shiv would stay with him um once he went to prison um I think that but I but I don't think I I think that Shiv would have to be the person to go against Logan to make Tom's life the best possible thing um, because I don't, I don't think Kendall right now, I mean, <sighs> no, I don't know. Now I'm rethinking everything I just said. I mean, so what does that look like? Like Tom, Tom tells Shiv, tells Logan, he's testifying, you know, against them. She'll never, I mean, I don't know if she'll ever speak to him again, but presumably the money would be gone. And I think that's like part of the, that's like the big appeal for him. Right. Um, and and from his perspective and also from my perspective, I don't really have a ton of faith in Kendall. I want to have more faith in Kendall. Um, but this episode didn't really do it. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing is, and I think it's well evidenced in the moment where Shiv doesn't want to take the photo. Mm. Um, and obviously she is immediately being like, I hate this guy. I hate what he stands for. But she's also thinking optically, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I don't want this photo to exist, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the photos do exist. The the records exist. I mean, these people, Kendall included, Connor included, have all been part of this, you know, horror show for so long. And I, I find it maybe not that credible that Connor, while his family's company is in this huge scandal, would be a viable political candidate. But maybe that's just how maybe I'm not being cynical enough about our world or the world of succession. <laughs> mm. But I do think that like the best strategy for in the, because they're all so tainted is oddly to kind of follow Kendall's model for Shiv and Tom to join him and just try to take down their father and become these kind of, you know, uh, Greek, not tragedy exactly, but sort of classical heroes who like kill the tyrant who happens to be their dad, you know, and, and that will help absolve them of their associations and their sins. Um, it would be a huge kind of Hail Mary play, but like, what else do they honestly have? Because Roman, who is a little bit maybe more sociopathic, is winning at present and, and is winning with the worst ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we know that earlier, like early in this season, Kendall was was desperate to get Shiv on his team. Yeah. Um, And so maybe what Tom's play would be would be to bring this idea to Shiv or to bring you know, try to bring Shiv into the fold or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, the t- the tough thing for Tom is, and, and and I feel like you see it more and more with every episode, it's like he's doing this major sacrifice for this company and they genuinely just don't give a shit about him. Um, it's, it's not, it's not pleasant what's happening. Um, he's not, he's not getting, you know, he's not treated with the respect he potentially deserves for being someone who's like, taking on this company's entire criminal responsibility. I don't know. Yeah, and when Kendall says to Tom, like, you know, before Tom self-effacing, he's like, well, no, I fell in love with Shiv. That's why I'm here. Like, Kendall does kind of say, like, you've played your hand well. And and Tom is still there, improbably. You know, mm-hmm. there have been so many moments throughout this show's entire run where it's like, well, th- well, Tom's going to be the scapegoat. Tom's out. Tom's in trouble. You know, and he keeps sort of dodging or negotiating. Yes, he is shrinking himself more and more each time he does it. Like he's like, you know, using the the dark side of the force and getting weaker and weaker because of it. Um like it's rotting him, but but he still has survived and there's something, I don't know, this episode almost makes you admire his Weasley resourcefulness uh in retrospect even though like it seems so pathetic at the time and still sort of does, but but I think the I think, you know, maybe by the end of the season, we will look back at that exchange on that couch when Tom tentatively proposes the idea that he lay himself at the altar of Logan as a sacrificial offering. Uh, and she was like, no, but also maybe that was like the pivotal moment of this whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. and and that was where, not it's not Shiv being at this conference, whatever. That was when Shiv made her choice mm-hmm. and is going to have to live with it later on. You know, I um I read an interesting article. uh this weekend by um, Emily Vanderwerf at Vox um, about how the there's like four kind of like responses to to trauma like in like specifically parent parent abuse on child Um, and the four responses seem to be kind of like well distributed amongst the four children the four Roy children so you have like the fighting child which is often Kendall you have the sort of freeze the freezing one that seems to be often Roman um kind of flight that's one and that sort of seems to be like connor just sort of like leaving leaving entirely the sphere um and then fawning is the last one like sort of like kind of like sucking up to sort of as like a survival mechanism um and so far this season that's kind of been a shiv thing but i think like all of these kids have played all of these roles at different points and i i think 
I think it's kind of interesting to think about. Uh, I just found it interesting to think about how Shiv might change her response, like how she could move into the fight zone instead of the fawning zone. How and maybe what this freezing thing that Roman does is going to turn into a fawning thing that he does, and like Connor instead of fleeing could could start fighting more like he kind of does try to fight for himself in this in this episode um so i kind of i kind of just enjoyed that the distribution of those traits were were apparent on all the children and i like that they can mix and match them too yeah yeah and and you know maybe connor's connor's strategy at least in this episode i mean i think throughout the show you know, every time they say, well, who could it be? He kind of coughs. And then finally Logan's <laughs> like, what? What? And he's like, okay, let's consider, you know, whatever. We can consider you. Um, is it maybe, maybe the strategy is just to like last, you know, right. um, outwit and outplay are two of the tenets of Survivor, but at last <laughs> is also one of them. And, and maybe Connor is just playing that long, punishing, embarrassing game. Um, and, you know, involving people like Willa in the process. So he's not, he's not being like, benign in that in that passiveness but he you know he's just sort of always there and maybe all the other kids will fuck up enough that he can just he's the last one left and and then he'll get what he wants which i guess is to be president or he thinks he does anyway Mm -hmm. i mean what an episode like this where it does sort of seem like the parts are moving really reveals is that everyone has their survival strategy um and that they're working to different degrees but they're they're all they're all just trying to make it through making it through to the other side of the meeting is kind of their goal <sighs> well yeah and you know of course we wish uh greg well on his defamation lawsuit based on twitter <laughs> against greenpeace but i'm sure that will was go it a, well it was a comment it was a, a comment names him yeah it's it's good stuff um, yeah um anyway until we find out how that happens uh sonia where can people find you um i will be one of the paper people <laughs> When Kendall walks into uh, that one that one office of the law firm and just shouts, hey, paper people, yeah. I just thought that was, he's just, you know, his father's a lot more charismatic than he is. Anyway, I'll be one of the paper people and you can find me on VF.com. And I will be uh, making inroads into a diner omelet, uh, like, you know, starting in the center, working my way out, uh, tweeting at Rylas and writing at VF.com. Will the diner omelet be Jim Matt flavored? <laughs> Yeah, preferably. I, the Jenny's has a good one. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and once again, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can message at a subtext. Go to subtext.com slash stillwatching to sign up for that. Uh, we do read all those. We do read all the emails. So please get in touch with us. Uh, once again, this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. Thanks so much. See you next week. <laughs> And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake at The New Yorker, to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. 
The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.